From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Gun laws may change more frequently than any other category of law, whether it's laws to increase your liberty or laws to infringe your rights. There are always a flurry of new bills. In Ohio, there are about a dozen anti-gun bills and an equal number of pro-gun bills pending. That includes four recent bills on trigger locks, liability insurance, deadly force brochures, even a bill to repeal permitless carry. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Rob Sexton, BFA Legislative Affairs Director. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to be with you again, Dean. So, Rob, uh, last time you were on, you were saying that you were going to take a little vacation with your family, and I think you were going to Florida. Did you did you get that vacation in, and how was it? Well, we did. It was last week, and uh, we had the family down at uh, Disney World and Universal Studios. So this week I'm recuperating from the many miles we spent traipsing across those parks. So did you get in your 10,000 steps a day? I think we were averaging 18,000 steps a day. We actually Yikes. measured it about seven, seven to eight miles per day walk. So, so you're fit and uh, hale and hearty and, and ready to get back to work. I, I wish that were the case. Now I'm just <laughs> broken down and sore. So, <laughs> so I'm recuperating. You have to sit down a lot now. Well, I mean, you know that you can average that out over a month, Rob, you know, there's 10,000 steps a day. So you kind of banked some steps. You can take some days off, man. That's right. I can spend the next week just sitting on the couch. So, Rob, while you were in the Sunshine State, did you follow through with that little assignment I gave you last time? Do you remember what I'm talking about? No. What are we talking about? So, we were discussing in the last podcast, we were talking about Florida, yeah. and there's a, a woman down there running for governor. And her, Fried. Her, yeah, well, her name's Nikki Freed, but we were calling her Nikki Fried <laughs> because not only does her office, the Agriculture Department, oversee carry licenses, but she's, uh, interestingly, a cannabis industry lobbyist. So, yeah. you know, she's like pro-guns, pro-marijuana. So we were calling her Nikki Fried. Yeah. And uh, what we were confused about was why does the agriculture department in Florida oversee license, you know, the, the licenses to carry concealed? Didn't make any sense, I, right? No, it doesn't. So I thought if you were going to be in Florida, you know, rather than just dawdling and lollygagging down there, that you could do a little work and look into this. And uh, so apparently you didn't. You, you did what some people do. You go on vacation and you actually relaxed. I would not describe what we did as relaxing our schedule, you know, got to get to space mountain. You got to get to, it's a small world, all those things, you know, so we didn't have much time for me to fit work in that week, but I did not get to the bottom of why Nikki fried is in charge of concealed carry licenses, as well as 
her interest in the cannabis industry, but I, I, I still find it perplexing that she's the person in charge of such things. Well, Rob, as usual, I am coming to the rescue here because <laughs> while, while you were away and vacating and getting in your 18,000 steps a day, I actually found out. So I did, I did a little digging on this because I remained curious. So there's a little story behind it. Florida's Agriculture Commissioner, and that's Nikki Fried, she oversees the carry licenses because about 20 years ago, the NRA introduced legislation to make it that way. So, so, So why did they do that? Apparently, in 2002, the Florida Secretary of State, which used to be an elected position, was turned into an appointed position. Now, I'm not sure why that happened, but remember, this was 20 years ago, so licensing was a little more shaky back then than it is today. In fact, that's before Ohio got its license to carry concealed. So the Florida Secretary of State turned into an appointed position. So sort of under the radar, they moved the division of licensing from the Department of State to the Department of Agriculture simply because the program would then be answerable to an elected official. Accountability. Right. And so that that makes perfect sense, right? The NRA was worried 20 years ago that some unelected official was going to screw around with the licensing process, and they just decided to preemptively move it to a position where the, the, the person in charge was going to be answerable to the people. So to the best of my knowledge... Florida is the only state to do it like this because most other places, you know, it's law enforcement, uh, some legal department, you know, like it's police or here in Ohio, it's sheriffs. It might be a county clerk. It might be the court. But in Florida, it's the agriculture department. And now, Rob, we know why. We, You know, what's funny about that is we were trying to guess what, you know, what crazy politics would lead him to do it. And what you're really telling me is, we did it, right? It was gun guys that got it moved to the agriculture department. And and, so, it, and it makes perfect sense now. I mean, it re- really absolutely. does because th- this was a, a protective move. It was yes. a tactic because, you know, um, you know, we know what can happen when you have unelected officials making policy. You know, um, what comes to mind here is one of the great gun advocates across the entire country is, you know, quite a player in Florida politics, and that's former NRA president, Marion Hammer. And I, if I had to guess, I would say that this move just has to have something to do with her because she's typically two or three steps ahead of the bad guys when it comes to stuff in Florida. Well, that shows, Rob, why you work for us, because that is dead on. That is exactly who is involved in Florida <laughs> to make that happen. You're, you're, yes. I'm, now I'm suspicious that you did a little research on your own and you just didn't tell me. <laughs> And, just so uh, I could look smart. Just so you could look smart, right? Right. <laughs> so I'm I'm very oh. suspicious because that that is exactly that's exactly what happened. So yeah. there's the there's the answer to our little little quandary, uh, Rob. Mystery solved. Yep. So what I wanted to talk about in this podcast primarily was just some new or fairly new legislation that's been introduced recently. And the first one is one that you gave testimony on, uh, Senate Bill 293, 
This is about prohibiting any fees or liability insurance for gun owners. This is not super new. It was introduced in February, but we just presented testimony this week, and you were down at the State House. So, Rob, why don't you describe, you know, what is this bill about and why is it important? Sure. So, you know, the anti gun crowd, they've really got two different gears when it comes to attacking us. They've got this very frontal approach. You know, they're going to ban high capacity magazines or they're going to ban so called assault weapons. That's a very frontal approach. Then they've got the, uh, what I'll call the death by a thousand cuts approach, where they come at us from various angles to make it more expensive or more restrictive, more hoops to jump through in order to purchase and possess firearms. So, one of their ideas, uh, in the past has been, you know, hey, we're just going to put a tax on every bullet that you use, for example. That's an example of, you know, sort of nuisance-style anti-gun legislation. Well, this latest bill, Senate Bill 293, it would require that if you own firearms that you would have to purchase liability insurance because of that, right? So this was introduced in California. It was introduced in Connecticut. It was introduced in New York. And I think the city of San Jose actually enacted this requirement. So Senator Teresa Gavarone and Senator Terry Johnson, both strong allies of gun owners in the Ohio General Assembly, introduced Senate Bill 293 to put a stop to this nonsense. Their bill just simply spells out that you're not allowed to do that. You cannot put that requirement on people who purchase and possess or carry firearms that's all that senate bill 293 does seems like a no-brainer to me uh, that if we spot a place where the bad guys are cropping up with new bad ideas that you know we get ahead of them before they actually become law here in our own backyard so you mentioned san jose you're right they in fact they became the first place in the country to actually enact this i think the mayor was behind it and if you own firearms, you have to pay $25 a year as a fee. Fortunately, it's not per firearm, but it's $25. There might be some administrative fees on top of that, plus liability insurance. Right. So, and then the idea for the insurance is, well, you know, in case you use the gun and somebody gets hurt, that taxpayers aren't going to bear that burden that, you know, you're going to pay that yourself. But honestly, Rob, this is... This is what I would refer to as middle finger legislation. This is not what they say it is. This is just uh, a middle finger, uh, you know, a kind of a screw you to every gun owner because, you know, they might not be able to do a lot of other things, but they can do this and they're going to do yep. it just because they can. I agree. And it also gives, there's a vulnerability there, right? So if you're a person who owns a firearm and you decide you're not going to purchase that liability insurance, you live in San Jose something happens and it's exposed that you're a firearm owner, then, you know, you're, you're subject to government penalties and the whole nine yards. So it's just a rabbit trail that we hate to see pass anywhere, but we darn sure can't let something like that happen here in Ohio. And Senate bill 293 would just clarify it and put a stop to it. And this is very similar to the emergency power bill that we're working on, which is significantly more comprehensive, but you know, our argument's been the same. It's, you know, let's make sure that none of this bad stuff happens. So let's make the law now mm -hmm. to prevent any infringements in the future under the guise of an emergency order. So, you know, it's funny you mentioned the emergency powers bill, because when we 
testified in favor of the House and Senate versions of that bill. You know, there were Democrats on the committee who asked, you know, is this a problem here in Ohio? And we would say, well, no, it hasn't been yet, but we've seen it elsewhere. So this is really a solution to a problem that doesn't exist, they would say. And what they're leaving out is that if they got in power, we'd have no chance to put this protection in place because these these guys are the most anti-Second Amendment legislators in Columbus. So when the testimony was given on Senate Bill 293, you know, the same crew, the same people want to ask the same question. Have any cities or localities here in Ohio passed ordinances to uh, require liability insurance for gun owners? And of course, the answer is no. So, you know, he shakes his head and scoffs. Well, then obviously it's not necessary. Not confessing that he would never vote for such a thing if it were necessary. And, And then, of course, what, a day or two later, the city of Columbus comes out with their goal to circumvent preemption, which is not the same issue, but it demonstrates the same problem. And that is that our cities and our and our towns and our villages, a lot of them are constantly looking at ways to attack your gun rights. And so the idea that we would pass something preemptively to, to you know, basically to build the defenses when we can, it, it makes all the sense in the world. Well, and their argument would only make sense if we were all dealing with each other honestly and upfront, right? But their arguments are disingenuous. They want us to be reasonable on the front end on this stuff. But then later on, you know, we know very well that um, they're going to try to pass legislation. Just like in San Jose, this middle finger type legislation, pass it because you can. And it doesn't matter what it is, just get something passed to to, uh, screw over those gun owners. A lot of it's just political theater. Some of it's just attacking Republicans in general. But whatever it is, you know, infringement is infringement. So we've got to, you know, head them off at the pass, Rob. I totally agree. And as I said, you know, we we really appreciate Senator Gavron and Senator Johnson for bringing the bill forward. And, uh, you know, BFA is going to be right up front supporting it all the way. So the next bill I want to talk about, and I'm just going to go, you know, that, that bill that we just discussed, Senate Bill 293, we support that. Yes. There are three other bills I want to talk about that we oppose. And I was just updating our legislative page on the website. And by the way, if you want to go to BuckeyeFirearms.org, there's a red navigation bar on the website. Click on legislation. It shows these and all the other bills we're tracking, the ones we support, the ones we oppose. And so I've just added uh, some of these, and they include uh, a little bit of information, the bill number, a link to the website where you can read the text and analysis and everything else. So this next one is uh, House Bill 617. And Rob, unfortunately, you know, this is uh, sponsored by Kyle Kaler, and it's to require gun dealers to provide legal information. Basically, the idea of this is to take the brochure that comes out of the Attorney General's office and sort of summarize it, boil it down into a little brochure, but then force gun dealers to provide that with every firearm purchase. Right. You know, that's basically his bill doesn't do anything more than that. You know, Representative Kaler has been an advocate for this for at least two years, three years. He's brought this up time and time again. Buckeye Firearms Association has consistently opposed it uh, for the simple reason that, 
you know, we're not in favor of mandates on firearms dealers. And uh, the information is readily available uh, to people who want it. Uh, and it just doesn't make any sense to us that we would just make a state mandate uh, on those dealers. And so, you know, we've consistently opposed the idea and, uh, you, you know, uh, we'll continue to do that if this bill gains any traction. So, you know, uh, it's a it's a good idea for gun owners to have this information. I would encourage everyone to read the AG manual, to look at Ohio law where there's a lot of information on the Buckeye Farms website, take training, take classes. We encourage all that, but there's a difference between saying, this is a good idea and this is something you must do. It's mandated, otherwise you're breaking the law. Those are two very different things. What I fear is once you have required things that they have to pass out, now you've got a vehicle that you can just add something on you know, every so often. Hey, uh, let's add a page on domestic violence. Let's add a page on suicide. Let's add a page on straw purchases. Let's add a page on background checks. You know, the next thing you know, you're requiring gun dealers to, you know, to come up with a five-page manual that they have to pass out every time they sell a firearm. Uh, and, and I just don't think it's government's place to require that uh, gun dealers have to do that. And, and where does the money come from? Because the bill doesn't say the state is going to pay for this. So, I mean, log- logistically, financially, I guess gun dealers, I mean, th- th- this brochure is going to be created, but gun dealers are what? They're going to have to print it, fold yep. it, you know, stick it in the, the gun boxes or whatever. You know, how are they going to do this? It's going to be up to them. It's yet one more requirement, and it's going to be dollars out of their pocket. You know, Rob, it's not like gun dealers, most of them, unless you're running a big retail outfit, you're not getting rich selling guns. I mean, the the profit margin is pretty slim. Most people are doing it sort of as a sideline, but they're all going to have to to meet this mandate if a bill like this would pass. That's exactly right. It is, as you say, it's an unfunded mandate on businesses and uh, we just don't think it's necessary so i think you know uh, we'll oppose it and i hope the general assembly continues to take a pass on it as they have so far uh as this session you know we've got about what seven more months left in this session to avoid ideas like this so let's move on to the next bill and this is one we actually discussed rob last time you were on the podcast this is house bill 630 from uh tavia galonsky and it's to repeal permitless carry so you know sb 215 for permitless carry has not even gone into effect yet that happens as we're recording this about three weeks or so from now in uh, june on june 13th this bill was introduced last month meaning in april 2022 there haven't been any hearings yet, no co-sponsors. And one of the things I wanted to follow up with, because I was saying, you know, last time that this bill came out, but there were no press releases. I was kind of assuming that Golonsky was going to put a press release out there and, and kind of brag about it. There's been no press release. So, you know, there are a lot of other press releases on her on her website. What, why would she not? I mean, do, do you think this was, she just had this kind of loaded and ready to go? as we were doing permitless carry. So she thought, ah, you know, I'm just going to put this out there anyway, just, just because she had it ready to go. 
Maybe so. You know, I mean, I think it's an example of virtue signaling, right? So when she's campaigning for reelection and if her district is a district that's really struggling with violent crime right now, like a lot of places are, you know, she can say that she introduced a bill to, uh, to put a stop to this permanentless carry thing, uh, that she opposed so strongly, you know, it's worth noting she was a member of the house government oversight committee and probably the most vocal opponent on the committee. Uh, so this is her way, I think of making it official that she wants to see it repealed. I think we should, Dean, I think we should assure BFA listeners, this bill has just absolutely no shot to pass. No, you know, no, I don't know. I mean, this was introduced last month. There have been no hearings. There, there are no co-sponsors. Right. And, and oddly, and I'm trying to figure this out, no press release, because generally when a legislator puts out a piece of legislation, they want to crow about it. They want to get in the newspaper but I looked and I couldn't find anything that she put out. So I'm not sure why she's, you know, hiding her light under a bushel on this, Rob, because I would think that she would really want to, you know, fundraise on it and, you know, talk about it and whatnot. Maybe she's doing that privately, you know, at, at events. But right. uh, I've not seen anything in the press about it, uh, nothing on her website about it. Right. Yeah, I suspect it's being used more in you know, fundraiser pieces and campaign handouts, things like that. She can, you know, author the the bill to strike down constitutional carry, that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I'm surprised she's not crowing about it more given how strong of an opponent she was. So the next bill, and this was introduced just last week, Rob, House Bill 661 to require trigger locks. Now this one comes from uh, Jeffrey Crossman and Paula Hicks Hudson. And the idea is to require that gun trigger locks not only be included with every firearm sale, but actually to be attached to the firearm. And I'm, I'm a little confused about this. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but uh, have you ever bought uh, at least a handgun? Have you ever bought a, a, a gun that didn't ha- come with a lock? I mean, it, they're already included with every gun that I've ever bought. You know, you're 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 dating us because you know now i'm feeling old thinking probably the first gun i bought for myself you know when i was in my early 20s i, I don't think it had a trigger lock in it but boy I, every single gun since then they've, they've come with trigger locks so that's the first thing i wondered when i saw this bill was introduced is you know you're you're trying to make something law that is already practiced at the very least across the entire country and our friends at the National Shooting Sports Foundation, uh, which of course is the trade association for the firearms industry, they've actually got uh, a program in which they they have furnished uh, gun locks to a lot of dealers across the country just for this very thing. So I'm not sure why this bill is necessary, and you know, I think it falls in a very similar corner as the. Kaler bill we discussed that there's no way in the world we're going to favor that kind of mandate, but it's very notable that what they're trying to require is already happening anyway. Well, I looked it up and there is federal law on this. There was what was called the child safety lock act of 2005. Okay. So, you know, it says that when you're selling, delivering, transferring a handgun to any person, other than another licensee, in other words, you know, transporting between FFLs. If you're an importer, a manufacturer, dealer, whatever, 
you have to provide secure gun storage. So this is federal law. And by the way, this this bill not only said that you have to have, include a trigger lock and attach the cr- trigger lock, which I think is a little problematic because that means you're going to have to manipulate that lock. You're going to have to take it off. But you also have to offer other gun locks for sale. So this is actually a, a pretty big burden. Again, like that pamphlet, you know, gun the small gun dealers are going to have to figure out, well, how, you know, how do I offer these other locks? Do they have to include a, you know, a flyer to offer other locks for sale or how are they going to meet that mandate? It's just one more thing I, they have to do. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think, again, I, I doubt there's much appetite in the General Assembly to even entertain this idea, but it just, I think it's helpful sometimes. You know, some of our people, I mean, we're all pretty purist in our mindset, right? But some of our people will sometimes say stuff like, well, I, I can't vote for so-and-so because he's got a 91% voting record in our favor, right? So he's, he's not pure enough for us. Well, sometimes it's helpful when we're having that conversation to remember what would the world look like if the other side was in charge? And this is what we would see. We'd see liability insurance requirements, right? We'd, we'd see more than brochure requirements on dealers. The gun like this, it's just the tip of the iceberg. So it's just not a good idea. It's another mandate. And uh, of course, it's something that we would never support. Well, and I think people forget what it used to be like just here in Ohio. We passed preemption because we had different gun laws everywhere. So, you know, 20 years ago, compared to today, it was actually fairly friendly back then compared to what it would be if we were just to open the floodgates. But there were, you know, depending on what city you were in, there were different gun laws everywhere. I've told the story. I was shooting bullseye, and there was a gun that I wanted, and because it it, uh, had a magazine, and the magazine was in front of the trigger. And that was one of the, you know, telltale signs, they said, of a (laughs) machine gun, right? (laughs) And so I couldn't. It was a little twenty-two handgun that I was going to use for bullseye. And it was illegal. I lived in Columbus at the time, but I could not buy that gun. So that just shows you how silly some of these laws are. And then, you know, we passed preemption to try to regularize the laws. Well, you know, if that went away today, you can imagine how crazy it would be. You know, you had mentioned Columbus. And this is something we're going to talk about on a future podcast where they're trying to find a way to get around preemption, find a way for the city again to try to regulate guns, even though the state has said you're not supposed to do that. We would have, you know, over 2,000 different cities in the state all passing their own gun laws. It would be unworkable. It would be, you know, just crazy. It'd be it'd be difficult to own guns, use guns, hunt, to do anything. Because, you know, unless you just stayed home, you know, never left your city, you would never be able to keep up with all those laws. Right. It's a terrible idea. And um, there, you know, Columbus, as you said, we're going to do a separate podcast on this issue and i think it really bears diving into but the city of columbus has just basically declared itself that it wants to investigate methods to get around that preemption law and um, they might find themselves in a battle of general assembly they might find themselves a battle in court but one way or another we're not going to take that sitting down and and they're not and they're not going to stop rob that's the thing is that you know we want we want a lawsuit not that long ago against Columbus and against Cincinnati. So so look at that. You know, we beat them in a lawsuit. 
they're going to have to you know pay all the legal fees for that. And did that make them back off? No, they're they're ready to go at it again. So well, they're playing. Obviously, they're playing with OPM, right? They're using taxpayer money, other people's money, to fight us. And uh, so that means they can afford to be frivolous, I suppose. Again, it's just a great reminder. What would the world look like if Democrats controlled Ohio's government? If you know, and I, I, there was a time when I would say, "Oh gosh, you know, we've got we've got friends on the Democratic side." But the fact is, it's like finding a four-leaf clover. There are just very few pro-gun advocates in the state legislature or the congressional delegation that are Democrats. It's just not common to ever see that anymore so you see something like this in columbus just remind you why it's important to get out and vote for pro-gun candidates yeah and it didn't used to be that way i mean we had a a democrat governor uh strickland who was actually pretty good on guns at least while he was governor here in the state yes we, you know we used to have what we would call blue dog democrats democrats who were members of the Democratic Party, but they were fairly conservative. You know, they were uh, from rural areas. And that's just not the way it is anymore. It's very tribal. It's very divided. And, uh, you know, when we pass our bills, work on our legislation, we get zero Democrat support. You just can't find a single vote, right? And the other side, the anti-gun side, they're never going to stop attacking these various protections we put in place. You know, I actually had a legislator ask me one time, hey, if you guys get constitutional carry, is that going to be it? You guys going to be done? My answer was no. We're not going to be done until Ohio's constitution is actually lived up to by Ohio's government. But even then, the other side's never going to stop trying to tear it down. So the answer is, if you want to keep the rights that you're entitled to, then you have to stay vigilant. You have to stay active because the other side is never going to stop. Yeah, there's a gun rights I used to, to uh, joke with people who would, uh, you know, have a garden. People would talk about having a garden. I would say, no, you don't have a garden. You do a garden because you're constantly working on it. Or if you have a boat, you know, you don't just have a boat. You do a boat because the work yes. never ends. They're, they're just a, a, a money pit. Well, it's it's like that with uh, with rights, with the Second Amendment. You have to keep doing it. You have to keep fighting for your rights. Because once you stop, once you vacate the, the battlefield, then the other side is just going to run over you because they're not going to stop. That's right. By their very definition, they're you know uh, gun control activists. And, you know, this is not a topic we've decided to take on fully in this podcast, but I think a lot of our people are aware that courts in Connecticut found a loophole that they've allowed in uh, that allowed a lawsuit to go forward against a gun manufacturer, right? So our listeners probably know that Congress passed a bill, the Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, which would stop frivolous lawsuits against gun manufacturers for crimes committed by people with guns. And that, similar to preemption, that has probably almost singularly kept the firearms industry solvent, right? Because just like the issue of preemption, you, you know, you could have the firearms industry basically sued into bankruptcy, defending itself over and over again. So this law was passed to forbid that very thing. And, you know, Connecticut court last year ruled that, okay, 
the manufacturer of firearms is not subject to lawsuits, but their marketing practices are. So they're chipping away at our rights. And I think the same thing is true here in Ohio with preemption. That we're, you know, Columbus has shown itself that they're going to try to penetrate that wall. They're going to try to find a way to weaken the preemption law. And that means groups like BFA and our supporters, we, we can just never rest because this fight never ends. And it's yet one more reminder why voting for judges and justices is so important. You know, a lot of people, they vote at the top of the ticket. They'll vote for a president. They'll vote for governor. They might vote for their local legislator, but, you know, they won't pay attention to a lot of these other races, especially the judicial races. And man, that's where it often comes down to, because you get a bad ruling. You know, like we got a bad ruling on having armed staff in schools. Well, that just wiped right. out security programs all over the state with, right. with one ruling. So, you know, you've got to pay attention to who gets on the bench in the courts of appeals, on the Supreme Court. You've got to have good people there. And if you're not voting in those races, you're just allowing these kind of decisions to happen. So, you know, we we have our endorsed candidates, and I, I don't want to go in that direction at the end of this podcast, but you, you really need to vote. You need to find out who the good judges are and who the bad judges are. And, and the whole thing with the maps, Rob, we've talked about that. That's all coming from one justice on the Ohio Supreme Court. That's why we're having all these problems with maps. Oh, that's a fact. And, you know, I, we're in a world today where people feel like they're doing their part if they send a tweet or like a Facebook post. But the fact is, those things will do a whole lot less to protect your rights than actually getting out to vote. And these down ticket races like judges, I mean, we're just getting a lesson. We're getting a civics lesson in what one activist judge can do to create havoc, right? So the, the legislative lines, of course, if she gets her way, we're going to lose a good, a good chunk of pro-gun legislators. You know, she wants maps that are more favorable to Democrats. And of course, on this uh, armed staff deal, uh, it's just a terrible decision. It's not even good legal argument on her part. But of course, you know, as you say, they just negated school security programs all over the state. And now the question is, is the legislature going to restore those protections? And, uh, you know, that's something obviously that we support very much. And, and we've talked about that in other podcasts. We're talking about House Bill 99. That's still one of our priorities. We're hoping we can get that passed because that's just the only way that we're going to overcome that bad ruling, Rob. So uh, we'll, we'll keep working on that. Uh, just to wrap this up uh, legislatively, what else should we be looking at right now? Well, I think, as we've talked about previously, the biggest priority we have right now in the legislature is the emergency powers legislation. You know, House Bill 325 and its Senate companion would, would make it to where no city, county, township, village, whatever, could make a law under the guise of an emergency that would restrict your firearms rights, your right to carry, your right to possess, your right to purchase or train. None of those things could be shut down under the guise of the next emergency. And these bills are halfway through the process, but they seem to have lost some momentum. So we've got about seven months left in this session to still get them done. And I think the biggest concern I have is this. 
everybody woke up to this problem because of the COVID emergency. It's very fresh in our minds, the amount of abuse that has occurred with governments across the country using their emergency powers. If we don't pass this bill this session, you know, next year, it'll be a little bit more faint of a memory, two years later, even more faint. And people will not revisit this again until the next emergency happens and abuses happen. So this is a bill that needs to get, this needs to get done. And, you know, I think BFA supporters need to contact their legislators and let them know that they favor these emergency powers bills. It'll be our top priority for the remainder of 2022. But uh, as I mentioned, you know, legislators respond when their constituents are active. And so you can find information about this bill on the BFA website. And you need to be letting your state senator and your state rep know that you want this emergency powers legislation passed. Yep. Well, Rob, thanks for once again spending some time with us on the podcast and uh, giving us an update on some of this legislation. We'll have you back again soon. Oh, that sounds great, Dean. I enjoy it very much, and uh, you have a good weekend. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at buckeyefirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.